Hockey Left Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express and a proud member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Chris Otto. Happy to be with you. What day is it? June 3rd. It's Rafa's birthday. The King of Clay, who was uh, victorious today at Roland Garros, turns 35 today, defeated Richard Gasquet in three sets to round out the round of 32. Third round is set in Paris on the men's and women's sides in singles. Big surprises on the women's side. A tragic controversy. Naomi Osaka, who planned to boycott the press before the tournament, showed up and played around after some back and forth with the four grand slams in which they threatened to fine her, potentially suspend her. She pulls out of the tournament. We also... Lost top-seeded Ash Barty due to injury today. So so top two seeds are out on the women's side. Not the way we wanted things to go, but we pushed forward nevertheless. Of course, the Osaka controversy is going to be one of the big topics we talk about today. I'm going to be joined by Eric Goodris and Richard Pagliaro, my colleagues at Tennis Now. We're also going to talk tennis. we got Rafa Novak and Roger Federer, who defeated Marin Cilic, still in the mix. we got upset categories. we got... A whole bunch of women that are being to take a shot at this title. There's a lot to talk about. Let's just get right to this interview. I hope you guys enjoy it. See you on the other side. I dare you to make it through. Richard Pagliaro and Eric Goodris, I am so thrilled to be speaking with you guys. We, I think we almost have two rounds of Roland Garros in the books. We've got Nadal and Gasquet battling it out in the third set. I think we know how that one's going to turn out. But nevertheless, here we are, finally getting together for a podcast to talk about a whole lot of things. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Yeah, I'm doing great. It's good to speak with you both. It's good to be here. I think we know what the biggest story of Roland Garros has been, but I'm going to put it on the back burner for a second. I'm going to change it up. I'm going to talk instead about the men's draw. Tennis on the court, it's being played. There are, um, and, the, and the first thing I think I want to discuss is the fact that on the men's side, we have the big three in the top half of the draw, and they are all looking pretty good, including that guy named Roger Federer. Richard Pagliaro, I'll start off with talking about Roger Federer, who is now through two rounds and looking a lot better than he was a couple of weeks ago in Geneva. Yeah, well, he had the ideal opener with Istomin because he could basically do what he wanted. Clay is in Istomin's best surface. He hadn't won a major match, I think, in a few years. But he looked really sharp. I was impressed with his movement, obviously, coming off the two knee surgeries. But also his serving, you know, he aced. Uh, you know, Chilich is a tough guy to ace. He's six foot six, long reach. He aced him 16 times today. A lot of aces on, to end games. Uh, you know, he had a big serving day the first round uh, against Istomin, and the movement was impressive, and also that he's used the whole court. He dropped shot it on a service return today. He's played the angles well, and, uh, you know, he's looked like vintage Roger Federer at times, and also, as he said after today's match, he was energized by that little, you know, sort of tiff at the net with uh, with Chilich over the time violation, so it was good to see him get fired up. The only thing I'll say, take for Federer today, I think, and he kind of referenced this with the whole exchange he had with the umpire. I know Chilich expressed some consternation regarding Federer taking too much time, uh, perhaps between serves and then trying to go for his towel. Of course, the towels are off the side of the court because of the whole COVID protocols. 
And I think that some of this is just Federer getting used to the reality of uh, matches in our new reality. Yep. And I think that um, I think that's just kind of part of Roger trying to get back into the groove of playing, uh, you know, matches on a regular basis. He's been out of the game more or less um, for a while now, so he's just trying to get used to the feel of everything and um i think that you know whatever happens here at roland garros however far he goes in the draw it's just going to help him moving forward into wimbledon and the rest of the season so i think everything for roger right here as he said he's not expecting to win this tournament um you never know of course but let's let's get real here and um, he's just he's just here to get matches and everything um, here is just to help him get through the rest of the season. Yep. Good point. And I think by winning today, he really did himself a, a favor in the confidence category, beating a quality player like Chilich. And yeah, just getting more reps in and whether, you know, whether, like you said, he goes further, much further or not. I think he's in very good shape for Wimbledon. He's starting to, you know, open some eyes that, yes, he can do this at 39 going on 40. I'll change the subject, but stay with the men and we will get to Naomi Osaka at some point, right? But um, a couple interesting stats I'll throw at you guys and then let you react. For one, four U.S. men into the third round at Roland Garros for the first time since 1996. And then another is Carlos Alcaraz, the 18-year-old Spaniard, who's the youngest man left in the draw, is the youngest player to reach the third round since 2004. Anybody want to tackle either of those stats and talk about it? Well, uh, you know, on the American men, it could have even been more, because Mackie McDonald, uh, Christian Garim, that was one hell of a match, and he was, that's a heartbreaking loss. He was right there till the end, but... um, yeah, the Americans, they have done well, and the Stevie Johnson has made a nice run. And, uh, you know, you want to see what Opelka can do against Medvedev because Opelka's coming off that his be- career-best run to the Rome semis, and he's dangerous, especially on these courts where the players consistently say they're playing quicker, they're saying the balls are lighter, so you see the big servers reaping the rewards. It's been a great showing for the Americans. Eric, you're... You're always a huge backer of the Americans. What do you like about this quartet of men that have powered through into the third round? Well, I think it's a combination, like Richard said. It's potentially that the courts are playing a little bit quicker. So that's, of course, helping the American men who like to hit the big serves and go for their shots. Uh, be interesting to see how Pelka and Isner do in their next rounds um but having said that um it's very it's very good to see um them them making some breakthroughs here in the first week of roland garros and of course we look forward to wimbledon but um i think the surface is, is kind of helping these american men yeah uh, here and um they have to take advantage so we'll see how it goes i think i think you're right about the surface the balls they talk about for whatever the difference is with the balls and the conditions, because now, of course, we're playing with these balls for the first time in the spring and the, the normal time frame that we see tennis in Paris. It's really helping, is there? He was talking about how underrated his serving is on the clay, how effective it is more than maybe any other surface. It's funny that Isner 
And Opelka really had the opportunity to totally crush the the lower half of the draw with Opelka facing off with Medvedev, who we all know is vulnerable but looking better on the clay, and Isner facing Tsitsipas. If those two men register wins, and then you've got Johnson against Carino Busta and Marcos Giron against Christian Garin. I mean, they they are up heavy underdogs in all these matches, but if they win some, it'll be really interesting to see. And, and I might add, two NCAA champions in Giron and Johnson. I think Isner was a runner-up, if I'm not mistaken, in the NCAA, so a good showing for college tennis as well. Anything to add on that, Richard? Well, I think you hit it spot on with Isner when he was talking about the bounce because – you know, it's just warmer than it was last autumn when they played the tournament last time. So his kick serve is just hellacious. I mean, his second serve is better than a lot of guys' first serve for that reason, that he can kick it over your head, over your shoulders, and then he gets the midcourt ball on his forehand, and that's where the surface helps him. He can just tee off on the next shot. So I think, yeah, the surface definitely helps him, and also if we if we see the roof come into play, you got to think that would also aid the servers. But like you said, they're all going to be – big, big underdogs in these in these, uh, in these coming rounds. I've been impressed with Medvedev. You know, I thought the Tommy Paul match could have been a trap match, a danger match. He handled yeah. himself well, and it seems like, you know, venting and getting all that angst about, oh, I can't play on clay and all the joking. It seemed like that he sort of cleared his head and just came in, let me just give him my best shot, see what happens, and, and he's done a good job so far. Good point. He's had a very positive approach. In his pre-tournament press, he was talking already about I don't know what's going on, but I like these balls. I'm playing out of my skull in practice. It's amazing. And then he said the same thing after his first match. He was happy with his performance and says he likes the feel of the ball. And he says he's starting to realize that he can play just like he did at the Australian Open on this surface. And against Tommy Paul, he was down a set. I'm thinking, well, what was he talking about? He's going down. And then all of a sudden, three straight sets, he he was dominant. So, I mean, maybe he's, uh, you know, by the way, he entered this tournament with an 0-4 lifetime record at Roland Garros. So no expectations, but uh, he's picking up some ranking points at the very least. All right. Um, should we have a live look into what's going on right now at, at uh, Rafael Nadal? No, he's in the third set, and he's he's. Uh, it's it's nice that Gasquet has made a match of that. But let's switch the topic to the biggest topic of the week. Unfortunately, it's it's been one that's been weighing on us in the tennis world. It's been one that's been really. It's been really a tough one to absorb, and quite a shock, I must say. Naomi Osaka boycotts the press, doesn't want to do press, and then this turns into a huge controversy and I'm, I'm just kind of like quickly giving you the a b and c of this and eventually what happens is she ends up pulling out of this tournament after getting a little bit of a pushback from the four grand slams how was this handled how did this happen what is the takeaway from this really difficult situation eric you've probably had four or five days to digest and think <laughs> about it do you have anything to add or to say about this well i would say first of and foremost, it's important for Naomi to to be happy and healthy, and we wish her the best, and to however much time that she needs to step away from the sport and to get the uh, the, the care that she needs. That's all. That's all that we want. Um, I think it it does open up an, uh, a conversation regarding uh, the players and the media and. Um, I think that this whole episode on both sides could have been handled a lot better yes. in terms of Osaka, Osaka's team and representatives from the French Open and the other Grand Slams. 
the the, uh, the dialogue got exacerbated uh, very quickly, and um, that could have been handled a lot better. So perhaps that's that's a something that everyone can learn from. Um, I think that all of us being part of the media, we have been at tournaments, the, the biggest tournaments, the Grand Slams. We've been at the smaller tournaments on the frontier of the tours. And we understand that in terms of the press representation, it varies yep. in terms of credentialing and who controls that credentialing and who is allowed into the, the media space and the, um, the, the questions that are asked. Um, and, and that's part of the larger conversation that I think needs to happen in terms of um, how the sport wants to be represented by the media, the, the credential media, the journalists, the reporters, the free press, and the, the PR, the public relations that wants to put the best foot forward for the tournament. Yeah. Um, that sometimes they are competing interests. Um, so I I think if anything else, it opens up a larger conversation that probably needed to be had for the sport. Yep. I think you're right. I think the conversation that needs to follow is probably so important to how it's handled. We already saw how it could go wrong. Um, I might add about the, the question that the point of journalists I don't know how much you can control what types of questions and what journalists have access in terms of, of course, you can control it. But once they're there and and they're sitting in front of a player, they tend to ask what they want to ask. It's not always an easy job, as we all know. I think what is more important, perhaps, is that if players have issues with the press conference in and of itself, that they they feel comfortable talking saying that uh, I don't know if I am comfortable with this at this point, at at this specific point in a day or a week or in life in general. And there needs to be more open lines of communication about it. It's, it's very tricky. I just, I feel like all the players that are out there in this week at Roland Garros and in general face a lot of hard questions, not necessarily that the questions themselves are hard, but that they're in difficult situations in their life under complete stress after difficult losses, heartbreaking losses, where they're experiencing crisis of confidence and they have to go out there and be subjected. And I think that's where Osaka really wanted to draw the line in this particular instance. And it's uh, it's a shame that she didn't get to, uh, more of a, an ear to speak to. I, I do question what her agent's role is in, in all of this and why he, Naomi was allowed to or went kind of rogue on social and kind of opened up this dialogue maybe on strong terms that maybe kind of caused the pushback by the four slams. I wonder what the communication is like if she's having mental health issues since 2018 all the way up until now. How are they handling it and and what kind of help has she already gotten and why hasn't she gotten maybe a little bit more? Because she has sent us all signals. It's not a huge surprise that she's having some issues. I talk too much, though. Richard, give me some thoughts. No, I, I think you both said it well. I wouldn't add much other than it, for me it was really sad and disappointing that tennis gets front-page global headlines for this where i think like you said i i was disappointed both ways that there we live in an age of ultimate communication where we can communicate with each other in a second yet there's such a disconnect when it comes to really talking and listening and 
you know, to me, I, I know this in the statement they said we reached out to Naomi and, you know, try to offer help, but how did you reach out? Did you text her? Did you email? She's practicing there. Did anyone just go over to the court and say, hey, yeah. let's talk this out. Let's try to work this out. You know, let's find a, a medium that'll work. So I was really disappointed with that. And, and the reaction, you know, not just the statement, but when, you know, you're going to get in front of the media and make a statement and then not take questions after you just basically slam somebody because they don't want to take questions, that's like the height of absurdity. I mean, you got to realize the optics at play, and also you have to give them a little bit of a pass because it's a new FFT president. It could be a a new hierarchy, and, it, you know, it, it's just because of the pandemic and everything going on. I want to try to give understanding to everyone, compassion to everyone, and understanding to everyone, but this is a major superstar, you know, one of the biggest female athletes in the planet and for it to go down like this yeah. i mean this is a bad look all the way around you know. and right. you know i understand that they did the whole thing we're gonna we're gonna reach out we're gonna have a you know initiative and all this but it's like you know come on this is a this is a this is one of your superstar players i mean the time for all this was before it blew up and i agree with what you said also from her side you know i understand she's in pain and going through a lot but to throw something out there like that without you know letting people close to you or her team you know talking to the wta or talking to the tournament that's a big big that's a big thing. Yeah. You, you know you know the kind of following she has. And I also wonder, you know, like you said, there were signs in Miami, and that was the first time she had been reunited with her parents, and I thought that was really going to be positive for her, but she had a really odd and sad ending in Miami. And also she referenced it in the statement, that's why I always wear headphones. If you ever watch a lot of the early interviews, she kind of closes her visor sometimes when she's talking, almost like a shield when she was young. So I absolutely believe that she has a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. And let's remember, this is an Olympic year. She's the, one of the biggest athletes in Asia. She's supposed to play in Tokyo. So it's not only this tournament, it's Wimbledon. It's the Olympics. It's defending the Open. I mean, this is a massive year in her life and her career, so it's understandable. Yep. You know, that you would feel all that on your shoulders. I'm just saying from both sides, you've got to communicate before and then after. It's like everybody's trying to put a Band-Aid on the fact that this player's like a butterfly and you just took a baseball bat to her. Now let's, let's fix it and make sure everyone's okay. You know, that, that should have happened before all this happened. Yeah. You know, and I'm not trying to pile on. I mean, it's pretty obvious what happened, but... Mm. You know, I think the other layer is there's also this ongoing debate about the players want more money from the slams. That's been going on for years, and I think they deserve more money, but there's always that underlying tension. Oh, where are the slams? We're going to keep you in line, and the player's trying to push back. Where's our power? How do we get what we want, and how do we be on equal terms with other sports? So there's a lot of underlying politics at play and you know obviously the money is a big thing especially with the pandemic so it's a lot of things sort of colliding at once but it's just sad i mean that's my reaction it's sad how it all played out let me let me add something ah. briefly before i pause pass it back to you eric we're not going to like get off this subject so quickly but i wanted to say why couldn't the fft and president new president Gilles Morton have said something more to the effect or the four grand slams who released that statement said something more to the effect that this is the situation with Naomi. She will receive fines because those are the rules. We do believe in fairness and that all players should follow the rules. However, we strongly support and encourage Naomi in her endeavors. We just want to let you know that these are this is the way we'll be handling it, but she has our support in every possible way, and we wish her the best, and we're going to continue to open this dialogue as we continue 
and not stress so much that you're going to fine her and possibly suspend her. But say, yes, it needs to be fair because they think that's a conversation. That's part of the conversation that we didn't hit yet. If Naomi doesn't do pressers and and the rest of the tour has to do pressers, say Petra Kvitova, who then sprains her ankle or somebody, Serena, after a tough loss, who seriously doesn't want to deal with it and hasn't wanted to deal with it for 15 years and has been doing it, then it's a little unfair. What were you going to yeah, say? Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely. You, you got to have a living, level playing field on the court and off the court. So I totally understand that. I'm, I just felt like they could have had that discussion with her and her team before kind of giving her that. You know, it was pretty mm-hmm. harsh. Yeah, walk over to a practice court, like you said. Right. What do you got, Eric? Right. I was just going to add that I think there also needs to be a sensitivity that yes. every player approaches the press differently. And Every player is built differently yes. personality-wise. Uh, some players, as we both know, enjoy engaging with the press. They are open. They are engaging. They like the back and forth. And some players are less so. That's just how they're made up personally. And yeah. that um, you have to kind of read the room when you're in that in that space with that player. And when you know that if they're coming off a tough loss or what have you, that sometimes asking a, a question is is not the right time. Might not be worth it. At that space. In that space. Maybe yes. it's better in a in a in a different time, different place. But I think a lot sometimes that we've all been there when there is a specific person that kind of asks a question and you're like this is not the time and the place for that question. It's a great yeah, point. For wait, sure. Let's wait. Let's wait for a better moment. So there needs to be a little more sensitivity in terms of that. How bad do you really need that quote that you're going to stick a a, a a knife in this poor woman or man's heart after a difficult loss like that? Is it really that important, right? Yeah, you're right. It's not. And I mean, we've all, like you said, we've all been there. You've all heard the inane questions are just like, wow, that's just the wrong time to ask. Or especially if you see emotionally someone's on the brink, a lot of times you could tell it, you know, you could just tell by looking at them where they're at emotionally. I think, you know, the flip side is it, they're, they're good to contextualize what happened. Like Federer, the Federer-Chilich match, that little sort of run in at the net. It was good that he was able to explain, here, here's what happened. You know, he was getting annoyed. I didn't understand that he was annoyed. So, I, you know, that he was able to contextualize and give you the backstory from his perspective. Or when Ash Barty had to withdraw that she's able to take you through how the injury happened, stuff like that. So it can be informative, but you're right. It can be really, you know, almost demeaning. You really feel for that. And I think it's a larger issue in sport. If you've watched the NBA playoffs, you've seen fans, like, throw bottles at play. And it's just about, you know, you you got to... You got to be compassionate to someone who's who could be in a lot of pain. Yeah, you know, it doesn't mean you can't ask a tough question. It's when and, and how you do it. Yeah, how you do it. It might might help if you just be a little bit kind and compassionate with your tone. It might not. It might be the same question. Right. But Eric was right. It's sensitivity and, and an awareness of the situation and of the human being at the other side of you. And I think uh, I've definitely had that thought in my head for the last few days about maybe I should approach this this differently or. Um, Tough questions have to be asked. Why do you feel you're not performing well on the clay? How do you feel about your game on the clay? Do you think it can? Do you think you're improving? I mean, I don't think Naomi really. Let's be let's be honest. I don't think Naomi had a lot of terrible questions, and and the tone of the press room in most WTA pressers is usually quite friendly, and and people are genuinely curious about 
her performance on the new service. It's a challenge that we all look look at with curiosity. Yes, we harp on it. I'm sure. I mean, maybe that was the root of what. And and of course, as she, as she spoke, anxiety is a part of her life all the time. So yeah, I mean, sensitivity, awareness. It's uh, it's it's a new discussion. It's a new world. I think it, I think some things might change a little bit, and other things might stay the same. But at the end, it's just about kind of like two sides working together. Look, the tour needs Naomi. Naomi. Maybe she doesn't need the tour, but she kind of does, I think, to be the, the true Naomi that, that we want her to be. That She's a tennis star. She's a four-time Grand Slam champion and probably going to win more. And so I, we need each other. And I, and I just want to add, Chris, that Naomi Osaka since 2018 has not just – she's not just one of the biggest tennis stars. She's one of the biggest, most well-known athletes of any sport in the world. Yeah. And that's a lot for her to engage with. Yep. So I that's also that's also part of it as well. She and on and that's that's great for her, but that's that that's something that she's had to engage with and and in addition to being there on the court day in, day out. So that's also part of it as well. So uh, yeah. it's a it's a balancing act for her as well. She has so And much I think also if you look back to last year, she was really bold and courageous taking the steps she took, but also she alienated some tennis fans who were like, hey, wait, I don't want politics mixing with sport. And so it, there's always that edge. It goes both ways. But also I thought that if you just look at how she developed, I remember when she, her first U.S. Open when she won after all the controversy that night, somebody said, what are you going to do to celebrate? She said, I'm going to go back to my hotel room, probably just play video games by myself. She is a very introverted person. It just, her position has caused her to sort of have to elevate and she's found her voice and you got to give her credit for that. But that doesn't mean it's just a straight line up and, you know, yeah, bigger and better all the time. I mean, there's going to be times and this is one of them where you just hope the best for her and that, that she gets healthy and we'll see what happens for the rest of the year. Yeah, I think she got and, burned and down on it. Absolutely. And this is this is a big big part of the year for her because right. um, you know, Wimbledon is coming up. I know there was some there was talk there, I guess she was announced she's pulling out of her, her recent uh grass court Walmart tournament. Uh we'll see about Wimbledon. And of course the Olympics are in Tokyo. Right. I mean that's all the attention is going to be on her there. So this is a big part of her year in these next couple of months and that just adds to everything yeah and let me let me also add that for listeners that don't really know who naomi osaka is and i realize there are probably millions of people out there following this story that have no idea what she's all about the woman is incredible we we voted her best in press what was that last year she's unbelievable in the press room she's so funny she's so quirky she's such a unique and and it's now realizing how difficult it has been for her to get out of her shell. It's even more remarkable because she is just one unique player that have been, has been just such a joy to get to know and to actually talk to about things, the way she sees the world. Uh, she's amazing. And, and that's another thing that makes this all a little bit bittersweet because I think a lot of the press were probably like, oh, she doesn't like us. Or like, she's, what's, maybe where they were actually like, at, at the, the minute they heard the news, they were a little bit like, oh, what did I do wrong? You know? Uh, but I mean, really, she, she's had a great relationship with the press all the way through. And she's been completely um, magnetic and just like really one of a kind personality. So that's what makes this story even the more kind of like um, interesting. 
Yeah, and I think if there's any silver lining, it's just the support that other players from Novak to Rafa, to, you know, Medvedev, you name it, Vika, all these players who have stepped up, hey, I'm here, you know, trying to, trying to be supportive. And I saw an interview with Stevie Johnson on Tennis Channel, I think it was Steve Weissman, where he talked about when his dad died, how he went through a really dark period, and it was Marty Fish who had gone mm-hmm. through the anxiety after his sort of roller coaster career, Marty Fish really helped him in being able to talk to him and also talk to the media about his own story, what he was going through. He found that very cathartic, that he was able to get it out there, get this weight off of him. This is what I'm going through. This is why I might look like I'm struggling on court. And he felt that really was sort of empowering for him. But, you know, like he said, everybody's different. Everybody processes grief and pain and mental anguish in a different way. So. It works different for everyone. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's just a shame that we lost Naomi for this tournament, and now we have the we lost Ash Barty today as well. Maybe maybe we'll get back yeah. to the tennis here for a bit. the uh, The women's draw is is definitely opening up quite a bit with Ash Barty. Um, unfortunately, going down to injury today. I didn't, didn't. I wouldn't have predicted that a couple of weeks ago. I, after she left Rome, I thought she was going to have plenty of time to get healthy. But now it's a little bit crazy. I mean. Ash is out, Naomi's out, Bianca Andreescu was out pretty early, though I don't know if anybody really thought she was going to press on and go super deep into this draw, but maybe it um, opens up some opportunity for Serena Williams, who will face Danielle Collins in the third round, should be interesting, and a lot of other players as well. Sophia Kennan still in the mix, Irina Sabalenka's had a great clay court season, and a lot of players, Coco Goff still in the mix. So, And, of course, I should mention the defending champ, Iga Sviantec, who has now lost seven games through two rounds. Nine straight in at Roland Garros, playing just as well, if not better, than she did last year. So um, the floor is open for anybody who wants to talk women's tennis. Well, I think, you know, you look at that Coco Brady match. There's some really good matches coming up with Coco Brady and then also Sloan Stevens, former finalist. Yes. Mukova's at a really good Australian Open. She's an all-court dangerous player. And I've been impressed with how Kennan's responded to all the controversy, the split with yes. her dad, and, and she's fought through that. Ostapenko, first-rounder, was a tough test for Kennan, and now Kennan Pagula, that's a big match. And like you said, Serena Collins, we're going to see where Serena's at because Collins is just steamrolled, or the, she steamrolled the last round and coming off the everything she's gone through. That's going to be a really, I think, really exciting match to see where Serena's at. But if you had to handicap it going, looking ahead to the second week, you've got to like where Iga's at and how she's played and how she's handled the pressure of being the reigning champ. She's just picked up right where she left off, and she looks... She looks scary dominant right now. Did we leave did we leave any names out there, Eric? Uh no. I mean it's interesting. I'm looking at like Alina uh, Svitolina. Look, Alina Svitolina has been in the mix for so long. Maybe now this is her opportunity. We'll see because as we as we discussed, so many of these top players are are no longer there and um you know, the French Open for the women's draw every year, it's all about who can get put together the best two weeks. Yep, and no matter where you're ranking, what have you, it's just like persevering. And um, I'm even looking like Anjabour. You mm. know, she is a talented, crafty, powerful player. Who knows? I mean, she was supposed to play Ash Barty. Now she gets Magda Lynette. Who yep. knows? I mean, it's just, it's it's always, the French Open for the women's draw every year is always interesting because you just do not know. It's all about who can survive and advance. Yep. 
I think, and that's how it goes. I think you're right. And I think it was interesting that also we, we didn't have Simona Halep, a former champion and one of the best clay, clay quarters in women's tennis in, in the draw. Great point about Svitolina. She plays Barbara Krejcikova, another player who's been a little bit of a, you know, a revelation in the last 18 months. Um, and you mentioned Svitolina. She's got three Roland Garros quarterfinals, including last year. She's now, what, 22-8 and eight lifetime. At what's her best tennis? It's marginally better than what she's done at Australia in the U.S. Open, though she did get the semifinals at Wimbledon in the U.S. Open in 2019. But good point on Svitolina. She's looking very good. I mean, I can go down the women's side of the draw and just and I could just really like every single year when we get to the third round of any slam and just name a bunch of players who are just very enticing. Azarenka faces Keys. Sabalenka faces Pavlyuchenkova. Uh, Dasha Kazakina is still in the mix against a suddenly resurgent Sarana Kirstea. Vondrasova, the former runner-up, is in there. Paula Bedosa of Spain has been really impressive this year. Um, so, yeah, so hard to pick who's going to win this thing, even who's going to be in these quarterfinals. But but it's r- super exciting, right? Well, I would just add, if we're talking, you know, we're talking about the men's draw and, like, the if we're talking the conditions are suiting the American players who like to hit big and mm. hit hard. Um where do we see some of these these players on the women's draw if these conditions of course are the same who who does it favor um we're looking like this coco goff jen brady uh uh this this match up here i mean these are these are players that, that like to attack the ball and uh you know maybe that's maybe if of course you have to think about the weather and everything else, but maybe that's part of the mix. That's part of the uh, X factor that determines who gets to the to the final to the final rounds here. Yeah, there's some big hitters left. Serena Williams has been known to hit a few hit a few big balls, and she could face um, if she does get past Collins, who, by the way, we should talk about her story. It, um, um, I never even heard of endometriosis before, but but she had a tumor the size of a tennis ball removed from her uterus several months ago and was just like it was giving her problems for however long not just pain but like you know causing other injuries with her back and she finally feels 100 percent after doing that surgery a couple months ago it's amazing how good of a career she's had with these health struggles and if she's really is fully fit and fully free she we could see it even better danielle collins going forward she sure is feisty and always pretty much in every match just because of her attitude. So, I mean, Serena versus Collins could be just really fireworks type of match. Well, the thing I would just ask is we we always think that Serena, because she's in the draw, that she is like the favorite. But is there, not, is there a sort of a like, do we say like, well, now Serena, because she is sort of lower in the expect, expectations in terms of the, the odds and what have you, does that help her? Because now she goes in and she's just like, I'm going to take it match by match. And just like, they're not actually thinking about me so much, which is crazy to think, but yeah. maybe true. Yeah, I think so. And uh, I just go in here and I just kind of play match by match and um, see what happens. I'll surprise him. I'm Serena Williams, 23-time major champion. I'll surprise him. Just like Roger on the other side. Yes, I think it helps her to a degree. And, and it's just a matter of, She's still going to have to play well to win five more matches, um, and she's going to face some tricky players. On the clay, the most physical surface out there where she's going to have to produce some consistency and not just power probably, depending on the conditions and how things play out. But you're right. The conditions may be working in her favor. 
we've seen her look pretty solid so far, a lot better than she did in her first two appearances on the clay. So I think you could make the parallel with Roger. They're both making nice strides, even if this doesn't pan out in Paris. But it's a joy to have them already in the first week doing well. But even if it doesn't pan out, we're going to be kind of salivating over their potential for Wimbledon. Right, Richard? Yeah, and I like the way she played the Buzarnescu match. Even though it went three, she could have won in straight sets. And when she was down in that match, she was attacking. She was going after the shots. She wasn't drifting eight feet behind the baseline. I mean, she really played like Serena Williams. So if you're going to win or lose, you want her to be Serena, and she's done that so far. And I think, you know, the good sign for her through two rounds is there is a path to, if not victory, there is a path to the final when you look at her draw. I mean, you have to say Sabalenka doing what she's done on clay right now. I would pick her as the favorite in that little quarter, but Serena's beaten Sabalenka, you know, this year. She's beaten her, and it's a straightforward match. Serena's not bothered by power, and if that match came off, you know, that's what she's going to get is a lot of power, and that doesn't phase Serena. So, I mean, that's obviously looking ahead, but I would love to see that match come off because Sabalenka, obviously what she did in Madrid, and even what she did in Stuttgart, getting getting to the final. She's an informed player, and we keep waiting for her. One of these slams, Sabalenka's going to come through. She's going to come through. Now, if she beat Pavlyuchenkova, it could be the all-Belarusian clash with Vika again, if yeah. Vika got by E. So there's a lot of intriguing sort of mini matchups within each section, but you're right, that bottom section, I mean, you could even make a case for Paula Bedosa. She's got a win over Barty on clay, albeit the Charleston clay, but, you know, Paula Bedosa's had a really good clay season she's a dangerous player i'll make a case for her i think she's in the semis yeah i mean i can't i can't disagree with you there i'd love to see kazakina make a move just because she's so interesting but yeah i i I can't disagree with it i mean just the way she's played yeah i'm not saying bet your house on it but if i had to pick one from that section to make make it through to the final four i'd pick bedosa just the way she's controlling the court and just powering the ball and the, the steadiness that she's played with doesn't seem to be um, feeling the nerves. Round of 16 last year at Roland Garros and um, Bogdan next, which is a nice one, I guess. Um, it was supposed to be Osaka. Uh, but you never know, right? We never know. Men's side, yeah. men's side we kind of know. As, as, I flip, yeah. as I flip on my tennis channel and look at Rafael Nadal putting his rackets in a bag, he is through to round three. So... That's fairly predictable. I, I just want to add one more thing about Sabalenka. I think that, and I, I totally agree, she could totally, she could totally win the whole thing. But it's all about the unforced errors to winners for Sabalenka, and it's about it. And now she knows that she is like a potential favorite for the title. Yeah. And it's about that that ratio of unforced errors to winners. Mm-hmm. And we saw Yelena Ostapenko win the title just going for broke. Yep. So is is Sabalenka going to go for broke, or is she going to is she going to like hedge her bets? Want, That's what we're going to see with Sabalenka. Do you want me to give? Yeah, and also emotionally, can she keep it together? If she gets it's four on the third set, she makes a loose error. Is she going to snap? You know, or is she going to keep it together? Because there's a fine line with her between that emotional energy and you know the emotional combustibility. Yeah. No, good point. I'm, I'm going to give you Sabalenka stats just so you know. Through two rounds, she's defeated Anaconya and Aleksandra Saznovic. 51 winners, 65 on four. So she's managed to get through in straight sets with those oh. numbers already. Um, but th- those numbers are like, as you point out, not perfect. Might might not be good enough for, for a tougher opponent, right? But remember, Madrid is at altitude, so let's exactly. as well. <laughs> yeah. 
So, but we'll see. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I, I like I like her mental approach of late. She seems to really be not wanting to think about that she's in a slam. She seems to have this sort of casual air about her, like I'm I'm over it finally. I've, I I'm it's my what is it her thirteenth Grand Slam, and she hasn't made the quarters yet. Um, she just doesn't want to worry about it anymore. She knows she's good, and she just wants to think about the match. I think she's kind of mastering that element, which is important for all players. Um, yeah, give herself some distance, and to be fair to her, like, since last fall, like, she's had a great run, like, one of the best runs of her career, going back to the end of last year, so she has put up the results, but like you both said, she hasn't done it in major, so you're going to keep getting those questions until you actually do it, but if you're going to do it, this is the time, it's, it's there It's there for you to do it. Yeah, this is her 14th major appearance, she, she comes in, uh, she was 3-3 three and three at Roland Garros before the before this tournament, she's 1-3 lifetime at Wimbledon. Five and four at the Aussie Open. She doesn't have great Grand Slam stats, so but we know at some point it's going to turn around. It's just a question. And she stepped out of the doubles, so maybe that'll help. I mean, she's had great success in doubles, winning major titles, and now she's not playing doubles here, so maybe that'll help her. Who knows? Yeah, I would think it could for sure. Um, men's side, we'll, we'll circle back to them and, and just maybe have a few final words on some of the interesting matchups that we might see we've already touched on a few like Djokovic is looking to have a really nice couple of uh, a really nice first week it's going to finish with Ricardus Brancas Novak has looked really good people questioned his decision to go to Belgrade but it seemed to kind of feed his heart and he's in in good health good form very positive good state of mind and he's cruising through these matches I think he's in pretty good shape I feel like I'm going to ask this question to both of you guys do you think Novak has a Better chance to defeat Rafa this year, now that he might meet him in the semis, or last year when we knew they were going to meet in the finals? If you can think back to to see how you viewed it last year, what did you think his chances were last year, and do you think they're better or worse now compared to what they were last year? Can I start? Please. I still think think it's Nadal. I mean... um, Look, he's got to get through. I'm just looking at his draw right now. I'm going to assume, I'm guessing, he's definitely going to get through Barrancas. <laughs> and then if he faces Mazzetti, that will be a very interesting match because Mazzetti's interesting. And then Heratini, yeah, potentially. I mean, so he's got some big hitters in front of him. Of course, we've got talking about Djokovic, Federer. Everyone wants to see that matchup. We'll see yeah. what happens there. Still got a ways to go. You know, it's, it's, it's. I still think this is all about Nadal, and I just think that um, I'm just looking through Nadal's draw right now. It's it, it's it's looking good. I mean, of course, we're talking about the semifinals, but again, it's it's Nadal in Paris. It's mm-hmm. it's 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 hard to see Nadal not getting to the final. <laughs> it's just hard. He's 102 and two in Roland Garros, but but Djokovic is one of the only active player that's ever beat him at Roland Garros. He's got that going for him. But yeah, of course, how could you not see it the way the way Eric sees it that it's Nadal's? But Richard, did you catch my question and the gist of it? Where where would you say you fall? Better chance this year or last year? Even if they're not, uh, even if oh. neither of the chances are good. Yeah, neither of the chances are good. But I felt last year he had a better chance because of the uncertainty of Nadal had skipped. 
the U.S. Open, you know, although Djokovic got bounced out of the U.S. Open, but uh, also we didn't know how the conditions were going to play out. There was a big perception it was going to it was going to take some of the bounce off Nadal's topspin forehand, that maybe the ball wouldn't be springing as high, that he was griping about the ball. So I felt the variables, just the uncertainty with how Nadal was going to deal with the variables of that tournament might have helped Novak. But this year, I think, uh, like Eric said, I think, Novak's path to that semifinal is going to be a little bit tougher. But on the flip side, I'll say I think that that decision to go to Belgrade, he took a lot of criticism, but it looks like a smart move in that it gave him some good vibes, good energy, good crowd support, where it seemed like it kind of pumped him up, where he's playing with some good pop. Because he threw the racket around a few times in Belgrade. He's kind of cranky, but here he seems uh, pretty positive. His state of mind seems good. Yeah. And we all know he can play. We all know he's one of the only two guys to beat him. So... You know, he's definitely the next best. The next best shot is him. I just don't think it's. I just don't think you're going to stop Rafa from getting to the final. Mm, I think for me, I'm I'm more intrigued. Last year, I th- I thought it was possible that I would have tipped Nadal. This year, I'm a little more intrigued. I'm, I want to see how things play out. I'm impressed by what Novak did in in Rome. I thought the win over Sitsipas was kind of a stick stick your chest out kind of win, and then. He did get the set off Nadal and I think maybe learned a few things about what it will actually take to get three sets off him again in Paris. And yeah, I mean, I feel like there's a small chance. I feel like there are two people other than Nadal that could win this title. And it's not likely that either of them will. One of them is Novak, of course. The other one is Stefano Tsitsipas, who is just mowing him down and been so impressive on so many levels all season long. He's hit a new level of maturity and consistency in his game. I think he's I think he's going to make his first slam final. I just want to raise this question real quick. If everything plays to form, if we get a Djokovic Federer quarterfinal, yeah. In terms of the mental energy going into that match, yep. And if, again, you're going to go for Djokovic, of course. That'll be stressful for Novak. Battle, but then to to put that amount of mental energy the crowd's going to be for Federer. No offense, Djokovic. Yeah, and then you got to take on potentially Nadal. I'm just, I'm just thinking like moving forward, like you're, you're expending physical energy, mental energy, to, to do this, mm-hmm. and how that plays into getting to the final. Interesting, interesting point. I think I haven't even thought about it before like that, but now that you bring it up, I think Novak would be very stressed about Roger having being having it be the ten year anniversary of that other time that Federer beat him in a semifinal when he was forty one and zero and the heavy favorite. That was a very weird match the way it played out. So yeah, it could be stressful. Yeah, plus today, you know, they put Roger on Chatrier and they put Djokovic world number one on Longland. That'll kind of fire him up, too, you would think. Maybe. Maybe they switched those two courts around a little bit, though, don't they? They I I didn't think much about it. Of course, but they're going to put Federer on the, on the, the, the show court. Every time. You know, <laughs> just if, it was me, I'd, go. <laughs> if it was me, I'd want to play on Simone Mathieu. I love that court. I'm just like, every time Beautiful. I catch a match, on, I think it, it, it really um, looks good on television as well. It's got the perfect size, perfect dimensions. It's just, and it's, I don't know. I love that court. Um, um, just real quick, if we're talking like the, the other part of the draw, aside from Tsitsipas, is there a potential surprise on the finalist? Zverev is Zverev is dangerous. I kind of just waiting for him to get picked off, um, but he's been pretty damn good. Casper Ruud has been great. Yeah, I mean, I think Casper is going to get through, and 
yeah, I mean, that's a good, that's a better name than probably the one I'm giving you. I think Rude's been. Or, or, or are we discounting Medvedev? Are we, are we truly discounting Medvedev from getting to the semifinals because he's apparently enjoying himself on the clay? <laughs> How would Once he... he matches up with Sitsipas really well? That would be an interesting match. I think it's hard not to discount him, but. But yeah, we we might be discounting him. I mean, I'm I'm hoping Fe- Fabio Fanini keeps playing well. He's just uh, yeah, I've been waiting yeah, for him he... to do something really good lately. It's been a while since he came back from ankle injury. But yeah, I mean, Schwartzman's in there. He's finally like getting his game together. Yannick Sinner is capable. Oh wait, I moved up to the top half there for a sec. Where am I? Um, I got to stop at Zverev. Yeah, I feel like Zverev is pretty damn dangerous. He's so fit. I mean, the guy can get down two sets to love, and it doesn't matter. It's crazy. But, I mean, I'll, I'll just – why don't I just ignore your question and go for a more fun one? Who are the players that intrigue me in the lower half? Nishikori, I'm so happy he's in there. I know you are too, Eric, and Richard probably as well. Funini excites me. Kasper Ruud does excite me because I think he's got a really bright future as a clay court player. Um I don't know. I guess that's. I guess that's really. Those are the names of the guys that I'd like to see produce some surprises, possibly. Don't discount Garen as well. I mean, he, but he's certainly solid, and he could potentially have his breakthrough here. So there's another one. Yeah, he's won multiple titles on clay. Also, the Madrid result was a good one. And when you come, you know, off the canvas, when you're basically almost DOA like he was, he mm. was done. And, I mean, to come back like that, that sometimes gives the guys so, you know. And after that match, it was so great because cur- it happened during the curfew, and he went out, he's throwing towels to the fan. He's just so fired up. I mean, that could be a huge, huge comeback for him. You know, a guy nobody ever really talks about because he's just solid, solid, solid Pablo. is Carino. I knew it. Carino he's Bosco. awesome. Yeah, and he's, he's a awesome guy player. that, you know, I know people always say, well, he doesn't have the weapons. Yeah, okay, I mean, he doesn't have the weapons of Sitsa Pass or Mevita, but he's just so hard to beat because he's just so solid yep. every single point. I'm not saying he's going to make a huge run, but whoever beats him is going to have to beat. I mean, he's he just takes it out of you. Yep, yep. I love players like that. I think uh, true tennis fans really can appreciate the players that don't give you anything, that really have great mental games and just, just are there every point doing everything they possibly can maybe without the weapons the sexy weapons that some other players have and that kind of strike power so yeah that's cool i mean christian garen really impressed me with that comeback against mackie mcdonald he showed a lot of heart he's really gonna gonna be i mean let's see what kind of energy he has left to face uh, marcos giron of the united states but i think he's really gonna be hungry to try to make the second week for the first time this is the tournament he wants to play well at being you know a clay quarter from chile I mean, and I think for me, a big thing is like Sitsipas, how do you handle the pressure? Because a lot of people are basically saying you're the third favorite in the tournament. So Medvedev is in a weird position. He's number two in the world, but nobody thinks he's going to get to the final. So in a way, he could theoretically play looser because nobody's expecting anything out of him. Whereas Sitsipas, you're the number five seed, and people are really looking at you, especially coming off the performance he had here last year, getting all the way to the semis, taking Novak the distance. Mm-hmm. Where How's he going to handle that? Like people expect him to win these matches. The Isner match, it's not a gimme match. I mean, Isner took Rafa to five sets in Paris. So it, to me, that's really intriguing. How does he mentally handle it? And he's shown a lot of spine this, this spring. He's really stepped up in a lot of instances, but can he do it when it counts? Yeah. I am just just throw out a quick static clicked on the head to head of Sitsipas and Isner. Isner had his number. 
early on. Won the first two, including a big match at Wimbledon in the round of 16. But since then, it's been Tsitsipas in straight sets, winning a tiebreaker in Beijing, quarterfinal. Tsitsipas in straight sets in Cincinnati, winning two tiebreakers, third round. Tsitsipas, 6-3, 6-2 in Acapulco. So he's going to have confidence that he can solve and the beast. This, and this will yeah. be a night match. Is that is that true? A night match. Yes, that's the that's the last match. That's the night match. Oh. So that's that adds that adds more intrigue. <laughs> uh, that's yeah, so that's it's going to be dead quiet for that match. I wonder who that helps or who, what that does to it. Interesting. Because during the Novak Sangren match, it was so quiet they had to disable the spider cam. Just the noise of the camera going on the cable wire, it was bugging them out. I mean, it's just so weird to see that stadium so still and quiet. Wasn't that annoying seeing Tennis Sangren? You know, like basically every two I, points he had to sit there I'm, and cry about it. I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just going to jump in. I don't understand the. I understand about having night matches at Roland Garros, and I understand about the the health situation and having the curfew and whatnot. But it 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 is it is weird. It is weird to schedule yeah. these matches at night. I understand about the U.S. Open. Mm-hmm. That was that was different. But it, it, it's 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 weird. Yeah. I'm just gonna say it. It's weird. It's uh, it's I, can, I have a lot more trouble watching and enjoying those matches because because we, we're they're juxtaposed with these exciting, these matches with complete ambiance like Monfils winning his first round match or the one with Garen and Mac, and Mackie McDonald which had fans for a while and then all of a sudden you see these two guys playing with with like nobody in the stands and and people are like filming their. TV stuff up in the corner and getting yelled at. It's just very, yeah, it's very strange. I don't, I'm not sure if they're generating. Is are they? They still are. They're not generating ticket revenues. Are they getting TV money for it? I mean, yeah. What was the choice that went into doing it this year? And I, we. The good news is next week. I think the curfew moved back to 11, so I think they'll get some night matches with some ambiance. Hopefully, I don't know. Yeah, good point, Eric. It's it's. It's not ideal. It's just weird to have people in the stands, and then you say, "Well, the the the, st- the people in the stands have to leave, and now yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's yeah. just it's it's that's its own distraction, and that's not fair to the players. So either have the people in the stands from start to finish, or not. Just yes. make up your mind. <laughs> I know, I've been... and that happened in the in the in the Green Maggie McDonald. That happened really late in the match, like in a really critical point where they had to clear the stands, and they're both standing there feeling the pressure. I mean, that was so so awkward. Mm. Yeah, no, yeah, it's it's yeah. I don't see what good it does. The actual, I guess, health experts think the curfew is necessary. So, I mean, you know, we have to support that if it's if it really is having a positive effect on keeping coronavirus down or whatever. And speaking of coronavirus, we lost the top seeds in doubles and. Mati Pavic and uh, Nikola Mektic, we were talking about that, Eric, on Slack. That really did happen. They really did um, test positive for COVID-19. The top seeds of the hottest doubles team in men's tennis is out of the tournament. So apparently the pandemic is not over, which is, you know, sometimes... Apparently not, yeah. and and not so much for Roland Garros, but looking forward to the Olympics. That's a big, a big conversation. There's so much conversation in the country of Japan. Japan regarding should we have the Olympics? Should we not have the Olympics? And that's all other conversation. But 
It is. That's uh, another time. <laughs> we're getting we're getting there. That's the good news on this pandemic. We're getting there in Paris. You're seeing crowds, and it's really nice. It brings a lot of smiles to uh, to us, even though we can't be there in person. At least we get to experience that kind of fun. So it, it's uh, we're, we're coming along, right? You guys are doing okay, right? Everybody's enjoy- doing better than they were six months ago, wouldn't you say? At least in some places. Absolutely. I think we I think we can wrap it, guys. It was really fun. I, I actually enjoyed that quite a bit. I, I feel I'm energized. I'm not. I'm no longer feel like I need to go to sleep, which is how I felt an hour ago. So I thank you, Eric, and I thank you, Richard, for chatting. We're going to do this again, hopefully, after the a couple more rounds have been put in the books in Roland Garros. But I appreciate all the um, all the insights you guys provided today. And let's talk soon. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. This edition of the Lucky Let Cord podcast is a wrap. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro and Eric Goodris for joining. I'll leave you guys with a stat. Can you name the three singles players still remaining in the Roland Garros draws that have yet to drop serve? Too late. John Isner is the one on the men's side. He's uh, held serve in all 31 of his service games. And there are two more on the women's side, Elena Viznina and Anna Bogdan. Crazy, right? Viznina and Bogdan both took walkovers into the third round. Viznina held all six of her service games in the first round. Bogdan held all eight. More stats, analysis, commentary, blogs. You can find it all at Tennis Now. Go to www.tennisnow.com. You can also find us on social media at facebook.com slash tennisnow. On Twitter at tennis underscore now. And of course, the podcast. Type in Lucky Let Cord Podcast to a browser or your Apple Podcast, and voila, you will find us. We'd love it if you rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. Thanks for listening. Enjoy Roland Garros. We'll see you in a few days. <laughs>